This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we consider the reality of God's anger in our next portion of Isaiah. Yeah, we'll just got a couple chapters today. Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know, a little shorter conversation, but dare I speak too soon. Um, <laughs> but this one... Yeah, we'll see about that. Just imagine me, you know, fingers in front of my face. And it's like, yes, <laughs> yes. Just, just go ahead and say that, Marty. Yeah, I like that. So... You know, last episode we talked about, um, you know, we we took we we took these five chapters and we saw God really kind of turn His conversation towards His people, His covenantal people. Spent a couple chapters talking about their their pride. You know, a chapter talking about their their stubborn, obstinate ways and where it leads, inviting them into a choice to pick where their allegiance lies. Talking about what it looks like if you choose allegiance to God's kingdom and God's way. And and then kind of saying the choice is yours and kind of ending with this almost poetic vision of what it, what God's going, where this story is headed, what God's going to do. And you can choose to be a part of it or you can choose to not be a part of it. And, and that episode kind of ends with almost like this, like, ah, yeah, we can do this. And then it doesn't take but one page. You just turn one page of Isaiah and we're back to the harsh reality of we we choose no. We we choose no, and you and and you and I choose no. We we choose no today, and so the passage today isn't necessarily uh, pointed directly at God's people. We're going to see that here in just the first few verses. the The scope of the conversation, the the audience of God's um, God's discourse, is going to widen back out. It's going to even become global um, beyond just His people, but. I, I titled this episode, The Hulk Factor, uh, the section in my notes I put in here, you won't like me when I'm angry. Um, and, and that phrase from, from the Hulk, we're going to see, we're going to see God says, I, I, I'm not messing around. I'm not kidding about the things that anger me, about the injustice, about the ways that you treat people. It matters to me and it arouses my anger. I think about the verses in Torah where God says, do not hurt and harm the widow. Do not take her cloak as a pledge, because when she cries out to me, I will hear her and I will rise up in anger. Do not hurt the foreigner and those who are marginalized and powerless, because I will hear their cry and it will rouse me to their side. It will rouse me to anger. And I think we forget about this anger, but I think we also forget about where his anger comes from. It comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of shalom. It comes from, a, it comes from an anger at injustice. And so we're going to take a look at that at that anger today, and we're going to see one side of the anger and then the other side of the anger. But we're going to start in Isaiah 34, and you can give us the first little chunk here, Brent. Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is on all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will stink. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. Yeah, so we have this. Where was the reference to Edom in that, Brent? Was there a reference it to is in the next verse. It's in the next verse. So it's in the next verse that, but to be clear, before we hear God reference Edom, 
this was most definitely a, a global pronouncement. It was all nations and their armies. It was the whole world, you said, and very early in the passage. So this anger of God, like I think it was last episode, Brent, you 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 brought up the state of our world right now as we record this episode. I mean, we got wars with Ukraine and well, Russia. We've got the last episode, though. Two weeks. We're recording this two weeks before. Uh, yes. Before it comes out. So who knows what's happening in the yeah. next two weeks? Seriously. Goodness gracious. as the truth. Pretty short, um, pretty short recording lead time for us. Yeah. But like things are so dynamic. So who knows? Yep. But as you and I talk today, things are a mess with Israel and and, and Hamas and Gaza. Things are a mess with Ukraine and, and Russia. Things, who knows what could be a mess with Taiwan and, and China in the near future. Uh, there, This has been the state of the world uh, for a very long time. And how does God feel about all of them and all of their armies? All of this violence? I, I thought that God was on one side or the other. I thought that God had favorites and that he protected in this passage, how is it depicted, Brent? Uh, well, pretty violently. I'm, try- I'm trying to think about this in the Greg Boyd cross vision sort of ah, sense. Okay, like, another callback. Yep. The Lord is angry with all nations, but then it kind of like narrows it a little bit. His His wrath is on all their armies. Okay, he sure. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. So it's like, is he actually destroying them, or is he sure. giving them over to like yeah. their own fighting against each other? And like, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I'm totally fine with those dynamics. And those are goes back to that Heschel idea that I'm in love with so much that all are responsible, few are guilty. It kind of narrows to where the guilt and the action lies. And yet, we all have to say something about this. We all have to choose which story we're. So we're all responsible for figuring out what we do with these realities. But yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's well said and well spoken, but it's definitely all, all nations you read and their armies. Indeed. So it's not yes. like every, it's not universal as an individuals and people, but it's, it's certainly not, there are no favorites here in this first paragraph. This is all nations and their armies. It's all of the silly allegiance to the myth of redemptive violence. It's all of it as I as I hear it. Well, it's it's let the let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. Like even yes, maybe not even the nations. Like maybe something bigger than that. I don't ah, know. yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, give us the next little bit because now it's gonna it's gonna actually point out some names here and and narrow its focus. And maybe there's a reason why. Maybe it is about this person in this group, and maybe there's other reasons why. Let's find out. My sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. See, it descends in judgment on Edom, the people I have totally destroyed. The sword of the Lord is bathed in blood. It is covered with fat, the blood of lambs and goats, fat from the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. And the wild oxen will fall with them, the bull calves and the great bulls. Their land will be drenched with blood and the dust will be soaked with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution, to uphold Zion's cause. Edom's streams will be turned into pitch, her dust into burning sulfur. Her land will become blazing pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will rise forever. From generation to generation, it will lie desolate. No one will ever pass through it again. The desert owl and the screech owl will possess it. The great owl and the raven will nest there. God will stretch out over Edom the measuring line of chaos 
and the plumb line of desolation. Her nobles will have nothing there to be called a kingdom. All her princes will vanish away. Thorns will overrun her citadels, nettles and brambles her strongholds. She will become a haunt for jackals, a home for owls. Desert creatures will meet with hyenas, and wild goats will bleat to each other. There the night creatures will also lie down and find for themselves places of rest. The owl will nest there and lay eggs. She will hatch them and care for her young under the shadow of her wings. There also the falcons will gather, each with its mate. So you have this pretty wide-reaching, pretty broad umbrella, wide umbrella of God God denouncing just how desolate, just how frustrated, just how bankrupt this worldly approach to trying to solve all of our problems is. And one of the things I found really interesting, both Alter and the JPS, whenever I say the JPS, that stands for the Jewish Publication Society. So um, Orthodox Judaism has a has a publication society that basically will release, I believe every year, a study Bible, a, a translation with footnotes of Tanakh. It might not happen every single year, but frequently they'll release an updated version. And so in that, the JPS will always have these study Bible footnotes and different things. Both Robert Alter and the JPS noted how many unique callbacks to Genesis there are in the passage you just read, Brent. Um, one of the first things that grabs your attention, and I noticed this years ago when I was writing out Isaiah uh, word by word, I was just kind of writing through Isaiah, and I got to the phrase, I think in my in my translation, it was wild and waste, and I realized, oh, and sure enough, it was what phrase do you think, Brent? Tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting usage. Where where was that at? Which verse was that? That is, hold on, Alter's going to tell me. And I believe it shows up somewhere else as well. But Robert Alter's notes have it in verse. He says verse 11. The line of welter, the weight stones of waste, the invocation of welter and waste, tohu vavohu of Genesis 1-2. Is pointed an activity of building will be undertaken, but with the aim of irreversible destruction, restoring this land to the condition of primordial chaos. It's it's split. So in the NIV, it says the measuring line of chaos and the plumb line of desolation. So chaos is the tohu and desolation is the okay. tohu. Well, well, there you go. I know that I've ran across it in Isaiah elsewhere um, where it was a one phrase altogether. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll have to remember where that. I'll have to go find that and figure out where it was. But we don't have to do that. Let the let the listener seek it out. Let the listener, he who has <laughs> ears and a keyboard, let him <laughs> yeah, right. let him research. Uh, is there a link I can put in for the JPS if someone's interested in looking at that? All of mine are hard copies. I don't know if there is one online. I'll see if I can find a good link and whether it's an online version or or just a link to whatever printed version. The one I'm using these days is the Jewish Study Bible, second edition, put out by Oxford, but they utilize the JPS as their footnotes. I have three or four different JPSs, but this is my most recent up-to-date version, and I've really liked it. It's good. Uh, yeah, so there, there's the Tohu Vavohu, there's Edom, and Edom is connected to who? What what character, Brent? Cheating again, Esau. Esau. <laughs> I'm looking at the note here. Yep. So Esau, you have Esau connections. You have Edom. You have Tohu Vavohu. It makes you think of 
all of these all of these nations makes you think of the table of nations and all these descendants that are connected. It just makes you go back. It feels like this is intentional on Isaiah's part to pull us back to Genesis and make us think about new creation, where it all began, or maybe as they're suggesting, the chaos. We're not moving forward. We're not building Eden. We're not building a good world. We're going back to the primordial chaos in the way that we're tearing the world apart. I just thought that wasn't interesting that both Alter and the JPS made that connection. But give us just a couple more verses to close this out, Brent. Well, before we move on, I want to know what the NIV has against owls. (laughs) Because after every instance of the word owl, it says the precise identification of these birds is uncertain. NET says owls and wild animals and all kinds of wild birds. But NIV is just like a swarm of owls. (laughs) Is the most like terrifying, chaotic thing that they can imagine. A good question for Elle the next time we have her on, because uh, I've heard her talk about, I believe, that reference and that word on the Text and Us podcast. Mm. Um, I think she's talked about that um, in her own translation work. And uh, let me see what Alter says. What verse is it that you're looking at? 11, the beginning of 11. The beginning of 11. The hawk and the hedgehog. Shall take hold of it. The, the owl and the raven shall dwell there. Okay. So he uses yeah. owl. Yeah. But yeah, no, okay. it's good. All right. Well, there you have it. But uh, yeah, give us, I think I have just a couple more verses just to kind of clean up this little section here. Look in the scroll of the Lord and read. None of these will be missing. Not one will lack her mate. For it is his mouth that has given the order and his spirit will gather them together. He allots their portions. His hand distributes them by measure. They will possess it forever and dwell there from generation to generation. Well, I didn't see it when I was reading it, but as I was listening to you read it out loud, I was hearing more Genesis. I was hearing Noah. Each one of these not lacking their mate, God gathering them together. I was hearing more Genesis stuff. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny how hearing it rather than reading it makes a difference. But we're doing every verse today, Brent. Just keep on reading every verse of these two chapters. Every verse today only. (laughs) Christmas special. That's right. Uh, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Okay, so in my notes, I titled this section, The Flip Side of Anger, because it's so interesting. The last chapter, you you have this conversation about um, all of God's anger, the, the, the bankrupt, where this is all headed, the desolation, and yet in this chapter... God's anger is connected to where, again, it's restorative. It's not just blind rage. God's not just angry because people are sinning. So he's just flipping out into this. His wrath is boiled over. And now he's just, you know, coming to beat people up. It's that he's really trying to put the world back together. And his rage and his anger isn't coming from the disobedience, but from the injustice, from the way it tears apart shalom. And he's coming to put that shalom back together because this anger is going to lead to what you just read, which is things being as they ought, things things being put back where they should be. So let's just go ahead and keep looking and see what, what continues to happen. And you connected the end of 34 to the flood story. And so what happens after a flood in the desert? The parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Uh-huh. Yep. 
Yeah, well, I got more good. I got more goodies coming for you. So just keep on thinking that way. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, "Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you." Now, and this is going to get into um, some of our dating conversation of how do you date different sections of Isaiah? Like, when are these things being written? But here's Alter's footnote on verse three. I thought it was very. Um, I just, it, it, it was very thought provoking for me. Um, strengthen the slackened hands. This entire exhortation to the people to be of good cheer, continuing in the next verse after having been downcast, speaks to the condition of exiles. So he says the audience here would be an exilic audience, people, people who are exiles, people are struggling. I'm assuming he would think maybe the kingdom of Judah, maybe it's the kingdom of Israel who's been conquered by Assyria. But he hears that being the audience that hears, like, be of good cheer. God's anger leads to restoration. Or if you're the exiles, you want God to be angry. Like, it's very, like, it's it's difficult to get ready to do a podcast episode that focuses on God's anger. It, it's hard to, for me to be like, oh, man, is this really what the text is saying? Yeah, I think this is saying. And then... You know, I'm often given the gift of seeing things through other people's perspective and to have people say, you know, if you're if you're on the underside of abuse, if you're the one who's on the receiving end of misused power, if you're the one like you sit day in and day out wondering if God is even you're wondering if God is angry, does this make God angry? And that was such a great perspective shift for me to consider for many people who are on the other side of the conversation, God's anger is good news. For anybody that has suffered injustice, you know what it's like to be like, does God even care? Like I think about Jonah in the book of Jonah. Like you don't care about truth. If you cared about truth, you'd be more angry than this. But here you are forgiving everybody. So so these messages of God's anger for the people who are on the receiving end of, of, of injustice and mistreatment, this is a part of a part of the good news that God does, that he rises up, that he is angry, and they can they can take some solace in the fact that God is going to do something about the state of the world. And I, I just, I need to be reminded of that because I don't find myself on that side of the conversation very often. Indeed. Then will the eyes of the blind people be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become like a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Now, did you hear anything in there? I I heard about a desert, a wilderness, and springs, streams bursting forth. What does that make you think of, Brent? Well, I mean, I, I do think of the flood again, like the, the streams coming from all over, but specifically connected to the desert, then it makes it seem more like what the Israelites were experiencing after they came out of Egypt. Yep. And that's what the JPS did in their footnotes. They talked about all the Exodus parallels in this chapter. It made me want to go like, how far does this keep going? Is the next chapter going to have Leviticus parallels? I mean, who knows? But uh, very interesting that the JPS was full of its hearkening on Exodus imagery here. So we just got done with Genesis. And now God's saying, I want to liberate you from all of this. 
I want to, I want to bring you out of that nonsense and I want to start doing something new. So at least the Genesis Exodus play, I don't know if it goes any further than that or not, but, but that Exodus parallel after just hearkening off, off of the Genesis chaos parallels, I found that to be super interesting, made my notes. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And that will bring us to the end of whatever you want to call this prose, poetic prose section. We're going to head into, in our next episode, we're going to talk about what I would call the redaction sections of Isaiah, historical, Isaiah 36, 37, 38, 39. And, uh, and you have these four chapters that kind of bridge the gap between what most scholars would call first Isaiah and second Isaiah. So we've just gotten done with that first, uh, that first little section. Um, but yeah, I found today's conversation uh, just super helpful in that I need to remember that God's anger, it's, it's too one-dimensional in my mind, theologically speaking. And that's because I, I've lived a very um, comfortable, very privileged life. I've lived, it's just the reality of where I was born and how I was raised and who I am. And uh, I've had it relatively easy. And I have to remember, I only relate to anger in a far too narrow theological way. And it's so helpful for me to see God's anger in relation to his restoration, to see God's anger in relation to justice, to see God's anger in relation to, this isn't, again, this isn't blind rage. This isn't God flipping out and having a tantrum. This is God angry at the way his beautiful world, his good world, Tov Mayod is being torn apart and it makes him angry and he longs to put it back together. And it's an anger that's restorative and that there's a place for God's anger. We need God's anger. But how, how crazy I usually spend all this time trying to deconstruct all of this theology about God's wrath. I think appropriately so because we do something else with God's wrath over and over and over again. But to overcorrect and throw that baby out with the bathwater would be a horrible mistake because God's anger and wrath is so appropriately needed in all of the right places. Uh, and that's what I wanted to, to think about today. And I don't know if you've got a bunch of questions, Brent, but I cannot remember the last time that I did an episode in 25 minutes. <laughs> uh, well, I do, have a, I do have a few ideas. First of all, I'm, I'm going to jump in as a Reed Dent character and say that Poetic prose would be an oxymoron. Prose is the non-verse poetry okay. sort of thing. Uh, so we're entering into prose, then would be the way of putting it. Yes. So settle down, Reed. I took care of it. All right, um, all right. I don't need any more Reed in my life. There's just enough, <laughs> just enough Reed. <laughs> well, the good news is L is joining us for uh, the next episode. And I, I feel like I feel like it could get a little spicy as we talk about the topic of redaction. Her and I don't necessarily agree about everything when it comes to authorship in the Bible. So we may have to get into some of that. 
Maybe. It's going to be great. I think I'm going to get a beach chair, but it's also winter. So I'm just going to sip on some hot chocolate while the two of you go back and forth. You will be the Michael Jackson eating popcorn uh, gif is what you will. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) So I will do that. Um, But this episode that we're talking on right now comes out right before Christmas and we're having a break next week. So real time listeners are going to have two weeks to chew on things. Okay. And I, I think because of, you know, bringing L in and the the depth of the topic and, you know, all the stuff that we're going to try to cover next episode. We're not going to have time to do this. I'm kind of curious, Marty, if you were to do a long review of sorts of what we've been through Isaiah so far, how would you like summarize this first half of Isaiah that we've covered? I mean, I can cheat. You've been cheating today, so I'm going to cheat and I'm going to look at my notes and I'm going to say, why would, why are we going to take notes if we're not going to look at them? (laughs) So true. Hopefully that's acceptable behavior. So true. I love it. I mean, I titled the first, this first, this whole first half of Isaiah as a father disciplines his sons. Um, because it really is, it really is the hard part of Isaiah. There are some beautiful moments and I, and I mean, obviously Isaiah five in the vineyard and, and there's just some beautiful moments of Isaiah and Isaiah one through 39, but it's also full of a lot of really difficult things and, and prophetic wrath and God's fire and, and anger as we looked at today. But you want to frame it within the context of the loving. You don't want to forget everything you've learned about God up to this point, that God is a father, that God is a husband, that God loves, that God's full of mercy, that God is forgiveness. But God is out of patience because you are hurting other people. Like these these things matter. These stories that we give ourselves to matter. The allegiance that we choose, it matters because it hurts people, not because of the theological orthodoxy of our belief system. I mean, that only matters because of what it does to people. Um, God cares about, and not just people, but all of his creation. God cares about all of his creation, all of it. And the things that we do and the things we give ourselves to, it either builds that world. It helps God create a world of, of Eden, of shalom, of delight, or it distorts that world and it pulls it apart and it, and it tears it down. And it's destructive. And God doesn't like that destruction because he loves his creation. He loves all of his creation. And so there's a time and a place apparently for Isaiah one through 39. And so that was, I wanted to frame it in the, I would summarize it as a father disciplines his sons. Um, he cares and he wants to keep telling him that, trust me, I'm going somewhere good. It's like going on a big road trip and like, you know, that Disneyland's at the end of it. Uh, but if you don't stop beating on each other at the back of the van, I'm going to pull this van over and, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have a moment of intense fellowship. Uh, and it doesn't change the fact that we're headed to Disneyland. And, uh, if you guys don't behave, well, then we're going to get there two days later and miss out on some great fun. If you guys want to choose to do this my way, uh, we got a beautiful thing that we're creating. Um, those are the kind of images that are somewhat helpful for me to relate to the story somewhat. So that's how I, that's how I summarized it. Okay. As a father disciplines his son, that feels like a short review element. So then what if we did like a long review of each of the episodes? Well, uh, I mean, we, we, we had all of those fun little titles of our episodes, but I mean, we start with, um, I mean, I mean, God's got a, God's got a, we could say the first section is about judgment. We call the opening provocations. Like God's like, Hey, I need to get your attention here. Cause it's not okay. You're like Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't get our attention right off the bat, um, <laughs> you rulers of Sodom, I hate your church services. I hate them. 
Uh, so remember where this whole thing, this thing started with like a boom. I used to be told in, in preaching class in Bible college, like you better have a hook. You better get people's attention in the first 30 seconds of you being on stage. And Isaiah does it. He's like, I can't stand your church. Your church services, your worship makes me want to puke. You're like the rulers of Sodom. You have my attention, sir. Um, and and God just says, I can't stand the injustice. Um, and God will give us visions. Like, I can't stand your injustice because this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be. This is that we can do this. And Isaiah is going to jump in there. And and again, I feel like we have multiple voices in Isaiah. I feel like Isaiah is far more involved in that first section of trying to trying to talk to Ahaz, trying to convince these rulers, trying to convince these kings. Like, it just takes one person. It just takes one child. It just takes one messianic character to come in here and choose to do things God's way. But if you don't, this whole thing's going to fall apart. And then that next section is everything falling apart. Um, and and we, we talked about burdens. So we could say, uh, we could say that next part would be, it's all falling apart everywhere, <laughs> like everywhere, like in Moab and in Ammon and in Edom and Philistia and Damascus and Tyre and Israel and Judah. It's, it's falling apart everywhere. It's falling apart in Egypt. It's falling apart in Babylon. It's falling, it's falling apart everywhere. It's all falling apart. And by the way, it's falling apart with you. My people would be the next section. It's falling apart with you. And I'm looking at you because you're my covenant people and your pride and your arrogance. And that gets to where we were at probably last week. It's your pride and your arrogance that's causing you to not be able to see all of this stuff. And because you're not able to see all this stuff, this is going to end very poorly. But I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to come back home. I'm inviting you to throw this all away and sign back up for the thing that, because this is where it's going. It's going somewhere beautiful. So pick, pick where you want where you want your allegiance to be. Pick which part of the story you want to be a part of. Pick what you really believe. What do you really believe? Uh, and that's the prophetic call. And then and then this last section uh, kind of feels like if I were doing a long review, I would want it to end right there. But then you got this additional section of, hey, uh, when you say no, uh, we got more of God's anger and and God's anger is going to put the world back together. And, and that's what's going to lead us into the whole second part of, of Isaiah, because the story is going to go poorly. Essentially, they're going to say no. They're going to say no to God's offer to Chuva. They're going to say no. Uh, uh, and who is they? Everybody. Uh, all the nations, including his own, are going to say thanks, but no thanks. And so God's going to say, all right, well, then I'll see you in exile. Um, bummed by your choice, uh, but I'm not forsaking you, and I'm going to see you in exile, and that's... That's kind of the next part of Isaiah where we'll pick up next. Beautiful. A return to form with the review, although a review at the end is a little bit unusual. Yeah, I'd have to work on just trying to clean up the uh, clean up the breaks a little. And you, you caught me unawares there. I was unprepared. <laughs> but if I had enough time, I could I could script it out a little bit and chunk it and be good. That's that's the nice thing about the review is when you do it every time you yep. refine it and you perfect it and you, you know, it gets down deep inside and it's just, it's absolutely true. Part of your thinking. Yep. Absolutely true. Yep. Okay. A couple other things for people to do if they have, you know, a couple weeks and they, they're, 
They're looking for some study. Uh, you mentioned as we went through there, you know, all the other nations that were brought up. I think that was episode 367, the burdens episode. Yep. Go check out that presentation and see what the other prophets are saying to those nations as well. That could be a good time in the text. And then also the idea that we talked about this episode with the parallels to Genesis and then to Exodus. Read on in Isaiah and see if those parallels continue through the rest of Torah. Absolutely. It was great homework. Whatever you do, get into the text. That's the idea. And wrestle with that text and what it actually means to us. Not just as an object of study, intellectually, cerebrally, but somehow try to bridge that gap to, and how am I walking away different and changed? If you're the other, where you internalize everything, try to remind yourself that Isaiah wasn't written to you um, personally. But remind yourself there's a history and a context, and that is what we get to learn from. Because um, if we start to internalize these, internalize these prophets too much, uh, they start to kind of go backwards on us. So Good reminders. And all of this done, of course, best in a discussion group. Always. So go to bamondiscipleship.com, find a group, start a group, uh, get in touch with us through the contact form if you want to get on the map. All of that stuff's there. All of our upcoming events, everything else is on the website. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again after the break.